um, well, it's been more than that that I've been praying into it, but uh, I said, God likes to stretch me. If you know me, I am a last minute person. Um, but when it comes to this stuff, I'd like a little more time to prepare. And But God always kind of gives me some things going through my head, but clarification always comes later on in that week. And I know that's him just kind of um, getting me to rely on him more, <laughs> spend more time in focused prayer, because I'm like, God, we need to give me something. Anyway, I've been doing courses. For those of you who don't know, I'm doing courses um, to go through for uh, ministry. And I've taken courses, um, different ones on preaching and stuff, and I'm in one right now. And let's just say God's message today is not the typical three-point sermon. It doesn't have the typical question-answer things. Um, God just said the book of Philippians. And I was like, okay, like where in Philippians? And no, he said no, the book of Philippians. So today we're going through the whole book of Philippians. Um, don't worry, we're not going to just sit and read it all. It might feel like it a little bit, but not really. We're just kind of going to highlight through some of the verses. But Paul's message for the church, I was kind of like, God... Why the whole book? Um, and and I just felt like um, this is what God had for our church today. So uh, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, it was uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the church that he had started in, in the city of Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony. These were Roman citizens um, that he was writing to. But this is a church that he had started. Um, and Paul is writing from prison. And this letter has a few reasons why it was written. Um, in the letter, Paul encourages the church, he warns the church, he corrects the church, and he also thanks the church. So we're going to kind of go through this. Um, in the first chapter, we see Paul, he starts off with saying how thankful he is for them. And he tells about the joy that um, it gives him to work in partnership with this church for the furthering of God's kingdom. And Paul says, um, let's see if this is working. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> in Philippians 1, uh, there we go. Verse 6, it says, He who began, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and says, And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what the best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's giving them uh, a bit of encouragement here. He's, he's saying how thankful he is for them. But you know, I love how he says uh, that God is still working on us. Right until the day that Jesus comes back, right until, until the end, he's, uh, God is still working. He's going to, to complete the work that he has started. Um, I feel like Paul is kind of challenging them here, that even though the church is, is doing good things, and the church is, is like I said, it, it brings him joy, and so the church, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but yet he still feels like he's calling them into deepening. He's telling them we need to get deeper. Um, and I think, you know, that applies to us today. As a church, we should be always aiming um, in our church and in our personal lives to get deeper with God. We want to be the best example of who Jesus is to the world around us. 
And how do we do that? By getting deeper and deeper into God. We talked about that in Sunday school. Um, last time I preached, I preached on the foundation. We talked about that in Sunday school today. About that foundation is so important and the roots that we dig. So the deeper we get into God, um, it sets us up better to stand firm. Um, and Paul's also kind of giving them a little bit of a, a, you know, he's saying it doesn't matter the circumstances that we should all be doing everything we possibly can to enhance the kingdom. Um, after these verses, Paul kind of gives himself, uh, gives them a little update on himself. Um, Paul is in prison, and he says that this has happened, him going to prison, um, has actually enhanced the gospel. Uh, he's able to minister to the guards and the people around him, but his being in prison has emboldened, has given people more, more courage to fearlessly uh, share the gospel. So him going to prison, other people have picked up on what he was doing. And so he is excited about that, even though he's in prison. Uh, you know, prison couldn't stop the spreading the gospel. No matter what we're going through, God can use it for his glory if we let him. So our story and our circumstances, you never know, could embolden or um, help someone else to share Jesus courageously and fearlessly. Now, Paul does get into um, a little bit where he's he's warning them of, of uh, that there are people out there preaching for their own selfish ambition, but it's kind of interesting because he says to that he rejoices uh, in this. So the reason he said he still rejoices is because he said, even though those people might be preaching out of their own selfish ambition, the message of Jesus is still getting out there. And that, and that he can rejoice. Um, so I was just thinking, you know, can we still rejoice? Now, the, the word rejoice is a verb, and it means to be glad or take delight in or make joyful. So Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is being preached. And can we still rejoice or be glad when others are doing things that bother us? Or we know that their uh, motive is selfish. Well, um, it says as long as the message of Jesus is going forth, we should, we should be able to rejoice in that. And I mean, Paul is rejoicing even though he's in prison as well. And I mean, those aren't great circumstances. Um, can we say that we rejoice when hard things come, whenever we're going through opposition um, or just hard things. You know, we can learn a lot from Paul. Of course, God used him to write a good chunk of the New Testament, and so God knew we can learn a lot from Paul. Um, but let's listen to Paul's perspective on his own life. So he says, um, verses 21 and 24, For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two, the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So <laughs> Paul's saying, you know, that he's he's just I love the way that he says this, you know, to die is gain. He's got the right perspective, right? He He's saying, um, he continues on, if we read a little time a bit more, he says that he believes that he's going to remain for their sake. But I like that he says, you know, if he lives, 
He knows there's fruitful labor to, to happen. He wasn't planning to just sit idly by and wait to go to heaven. He just wasn't sitting idly by and, and being proud of the churches that he, he started. He says he will have fruitful labor. So he'll be doing everything that he possibly could to enhance the kingdom of God. And church, until we're dead, <laughs> we have a mission. We have a responsibility to work for the kingdom. No matter how old or how young we are, God has things that you can do. Um, I've been super encouraged um, about hearing uh, people stepping into different ministries within our own church here. Um, that they ta they're taking on responsibilities that they feel that they're able to take on that are going to help enhance the kingdom. And if you're feeling called into something, like please talk to Pastor Betty, talk to me. You know, we'd love to help navigate what that looks like. Uh, for you here in this area. Uh, but then Paul does continue on and he says, um, he knows that to die, to be with Jesus, is better by far. He doesn't say it's just a little bit better or maybe this is the better outcome. Uh, he realizes that Jesus is everything. And we need to realize that Jesus is everything. And to be with Jesus is so much better than anything that we can experience or imagine. If we can really grasp that, I think it would help us to keep our eyes better focused on the mission to win others to Jesus and to put God first in all areas of our life. Um, Paul continues on and says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to you, come and see you, or only, only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you, that you will be saved, and that by God. So, he's saying it doesn't matter if he lives, dies, it doesn't matter if he comes to see them in person, it doesn't matter. He wants them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, and to stand firm in one spirit, contending or fighting for the cause of the faith of the gospel. This is good stuff. Um, you know, we all need to be, as a church and individually, uh, conducting ourselves in, in a way and acting in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, we need to be unified as one body and fight for the faith. Um, and telling those, you know, he's telling us here too not to be afraid of those who oppose us. Now, you know, are we walking, are we a walking testimony to the fact that Jesus has saved us, you know, um, and turned us around, put us on a better path? That life would be characterized by love, joy, hope, peace. And if we are individually, then as a church, we definitely should be working together in unity. Um, I'll talk more about this in the next few verses. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Um, here, unity, right? When we all operate in the same love that comes from the heart of God, 
And that love, you know, it speaks of forgiveness, redemption, uh, doing everything possible to save the lost. When we when we are operating in that love, we put others above ourselves. The selfishness is gone. Paul gives the perfect example of this in the next few verses. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other, every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine amongst them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. <clears throat> so, as Christians, um, we are to become more Christ-like. Christ was a humble servant. He was obedient to his father, uh, it said, even unto death. Jesus, he was in heaven with God. He, was, he is one with God. And we know he willingly left heaven to come to earth as a little baby born in a, in a stable. You know, he, didn't, he, he lived a very humble life. He didn't come as a king um, and, and just to the rich. And he didn't come and live that rich and tight of life. Even though, as God and creator of the whole earth, he could have. Um, but no, he chose an ordinary woman who gave birth to him in the stable. Um, and if you read through like the Old Testament prophecies, you see that that was God's plan. This wasn't like all of a sudden a last minute thing. God had this plan for a while. Um, why did he choose to come this way? I think really to set an example um, how to live. And how to make salvation accessible to everyone, not just the rich or the righteous, um, to show that the heart of God is for everyone. Jesus loved us all so much that he was willing to die, and not just any death, as Paul pointed out. He says, even death on a cross. And why did he say it like that? Because he's saying that Jesus chose to take this horrible, awful, torturous death. It was the worst thing that they could do at that time. Um, and Je Jesus willingly laid down his life out of love for you and for me. You know, <laughs> I know, I know I've been talking to the church, but there's people here um, that maybe have never made a commitment to Jesus before. And, you know, the verses said there's coming a day when everyone, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Um, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul talks about, he said, that we need to be working on our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's for everyone today. God wants all of us to be in a relationship with him. But, if there's sin in our lives, that makes it impossible. Because God is a holy God. 
He is a perfect God. And there are consequences for sin and disobedience. Uh, God, being a just and perfect God, he has no, um, no other choice than to judge us on, on the sin in our lives. But God, being such a great and loving God, he made a way for all of us to be able to be in a relationship with him and get rid of the sins, and that way was through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Um, Jesus was here on earth. He knew no sin. It's, the Bible tells us that he grew up um, blameless. He was sinless, but yet he willingly took on the sins of the whole world um, for all of those who were alive at the time and all of us to come in the future. And he put them to death on the cross. And through his resurrection, we have the power over sin and death. There is eternal life for anyone who believes in him. Um, you know, you can make that decision today. You can know that you are a child of God. And my thing would be don't delay because we don't know how much time we have. You know, or when Jesus is coming back. The Bible said he will come back. And if God said it, it will happen. Um, but this also applies to the church. Um, Paul was talking to the church whenever he said to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we all need a healthy fear of the Lord. We know that God cannot make exceptions. He's perfect. And so we always need to be checking ourselves and make sure that we're staying close to God, that we're not backing away and getting caught up in sin. Um, Paul goes on then in his letter. He just kind of gives them a, a little thing to say. Um, to welcome Timothy and talks about another man he's sending back to them. Um, but then he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he tells them to rejoice. He goes on to warn them that there are false teachers that are polluting the gospel. And he reminds them to stay true to what he has taught them. He talks about how um, some people are taking pride in their upbringing, um, in what the, the laws that they've obeyed, what they've done in their flesh, and Paul says, you know, if anyone can boast, it would be me. He, he tells them about his background. He gives them sort of like his pedigree or his list of accomplishments. But then he goes on after he lists off all the things about himself, how he, you know, what he did, how he grew up, how he, he was taught, studied, all that stuff. He says, but whatever gains to me now, I consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Um, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Let's think about what he's saying here. You know, do we look at the things that used to be important to us? Do we look at things like success, education, money, friends, followers, relationships, perfection even? And do we think of it all as rubbish? You know, church, we don't want to chase after all these things. And then come to the end of our life and realize that it was all garbage in the light of eternity. What we do now matters for the cause of Christ. 
What we prioritize now matters and is impacting the lives around us. But are we prioritizing things for God or for the world? Are we living in a way that makes a kingdom impact? If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we better be following Jesus even unto death. Uh, Jesus said we are to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross to follow him. You know, we might not all be called to be preachers or evangelists, uh, but we are all called to share Jesus with others through our lifestyles, our testimonies. Um, I know I've said this before, and I will say it again because every day I'm thankful that I'm not the same person I was when I was a kid, when I first got saved 10 years ago, you know, five years ago, even even a few months ago. Um, you know, God and I have many conversations where I'm flat on my face, asking him to show me anything in my life that isn't pleasing to him. Things that I might need to get rid of, things that I need to stop doing, or maybe things that I need to be doing. Um, I want to be more like him every day. Um, and I know that the more I'm like him and the more I make sure that I keep this uh, accountability with God, this short, short accounts with God, um, you know, that my life will have more of an impact, not for my glory, but for his. So then the ministries, the things I'm involved with, you know, are going to impact um, way more for God than if I just keep doing what I'm doing without staying in that close relationship with God. Um, I know that I'm living from a position of surrender. Um, surrender to God, of course, is the best way to live. It's not the easiest, but it's definitely the best. Jesus is everything. He really is. I, I sometimes I just, uh, of course, you know, I work with the teens, and sometimes there's times where I just kind of want to shake them and say, Jesus is everything. Like, just, just, if you could just get it. Jesus is everything. It's going to make your life a lot better in the long run if you can just get that Jesus is so much better than the things you're striving after. Like, just, Jesus is everything. And it's worth joining him in his death, his resurrection, you know, that we can then live in that same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That we can have victory over sin in our lives. We can have, um, when we come to the end of our lives, our life matters. Um, Paul continues on, and he encourages the church. He's, he, this is interesting. He says, um, not that I've already attained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is, this is my, what I'm saying. You know, Paul, Paul could have said he started all these churches, he sent out all these letters that eventually became about like a good chunk of our New Testament. He could have said, you know, I've done it, I got it, that's it. But he had the right focus. He knew that as long as he's alive, he hasn't attained it yet. He has to keep on pushing on, you know, I love that, but pressing on towards the goal. He wants the prize. And that's, I hope, us, our focus as individuals, but also our focus as the church. That we keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus, uh, and bring it as many with us to the kingdom as we can. Um, 
Now, we need to forget what's behind. Now, he doesn't mean our testimony. He doesn't mean where God has called us out of. He's talking about the things that are garbage in our life, that we shouldn't be looking and wanting to go back, that we're forgetting all that stuff, and we're pressing on um, towards living a purposeful and godly life. He reminds them to stand firm in the Lord, not be wishy-washy, but, and, you know, but standing firm. God is that firm foundation. In the letter um, next, Paul addresses two women, and he lists them off as godly women that have worked with him, but these two women are having a disagreement. And it kind of feels like when you actually look at the whole book of Philippians um, together, it kind of feels like this whole letter is intended to remind the church that they need to be re- to be united together and keeping their eyes focused on God and His purpose. Now, it could be because he's heard of this disagreement and he's trying to get the women in the church to reconcile work and unity back on track here. Uh, but in, right after he gives this little thing about work out your disagreement and church come around, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, <laughs> this is great. I mean, for us as individuals, but also this is for the church. Remember, Paul is writing to the church as a whole. Um, church, we need to be rejoicing in the Lord over answers to prayer, things God's doing. Uh, you know, we need to be be excited. We need to be glad that we just that we have Jesus. That's you know, there's a first basis. If we have Jesus in our lives, we have reason to be rejoicing. Um, you know, the fact that we've been saved and what Jesus' blood has done for us, that we have this amazing grace that we've been talking and singing about, you know. It also says that we shouldn't be anxious about anything. You know, I think in our own lives we can get caught up in seeing what's around us and the circumstances and and just what's going on in our world and we can become anxious. But whenever we have our eyes on God, we realize that God still has it under control. Like we can trust him even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of, of the things that are happening. God is there and we can be focused on him, which then gives us this peace. And I think, you know, as a church, we can get focused on numbers, we can get focused on money, we can get focused on programs, stuff like that. But we need to be, as a church, um, you know, coming to God in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, always being thankful to God for what he's doing, what he's done. This church is over 100 years old. We have lots to praise the Lord for um, as a church here. And then... As a church, as we, we bring these things to God and we have our focus on God, it says we will not be anxious about anything. You know, I love that. And it says, which I think is really neat, that he um, guards our minds. We get this peace, but he's also guarding our minds. Uh, in church, um, we're called to bring our requests. We're called to bring our petitions, prayers and petitions. And I think because he's addressing the church, it's kind of showing how important corporate prayers, how important it is for us to come together as a church. I know that support group got started during uh, COVID, and it's continued on, but I know I personally love 
um, being able to pray for people in the church. People have a need, they put it on there, we can pray for them in that moment. And I love that, just knowing that the church is there and able to do that. And if I have a prayer request, I can put it on there, and immediately I have people in our church coming together and praying for it. But I think there's also times that we need to get together as a church to pray and pray for our church, pray for our lost, pray for our loved ones, pray for our community. Um, and it's important as a church to be doing that together. And it helps towards that unity and helps towards that protection, that priority of the mind of the church together. Uh, I love how it says, you know, this peace, it's, it's, it's beyond understanding. It's uh, in the song, it says it's a peace that makes no sense to those around us, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense because God has this, this peace. Um, that just can come in when we keep ourselves focusing on Him. Um, Paul is coming to the end of the letter, and he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. There it is again, peace. Um, but think about the things that he was telling us to think about. They're all good things. They're all, you know, it says true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Like, evidently, if we're thinking on these things, we are thinking on godly things. Like, God, who he is, and what he's done. And then, given that, like I just said, that's that foundation that gives us that peace in Him. Um, when we spend our time thinking about the things around us, and, and when we watch things that are honoring to God, when we listen to things that are honoring to God, we don't have peace. You know, we have shame, anxiety, stress, jealousy, anger, so on. You know, that's not what God has called us to. That's not the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, like all that stuff. Um, what we think matters. Our minds matter. Our thoughts matter. Um, this is telling you the kinds of things you should be thinking on. You know, uh, I think of, of Jesus. You know, he took he took the commandments and he said, you know, the, do not commit adultery. Well, he takes that further and he says, if you just think about a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Jesus is telling us our thoughts matter. He says, if you think of someone with hateful thoughts, you've committed murder. God knows our thoughts, He knows our intents, He knows our hearts. Our thoughts matter. What we put in our minds and the way we think about things matters. Um, yeah, so if we need to be making sure that we are not thinking of things from a selfish perspective, that we, um, we are thinking of others better, others first. Uh, and that's the church. That's what gives us a united church. You know, if the church together is anxious about things, then that affects everybody. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and what he's done for us, what he's called us to, so that we'll be an effective part of God's mission here on earth. And I don't know about you, church, but my prayer is, and hope for this church is, that we are an effective part of what God's doing here in West Prince, on our island and in our country and around the world. And we can do that by living out the purposes of God, which is, of course, this is actually, oh, it's not up there right now. It's usually up there. 
Um, love God, love others, and serve the world. You know, we if we love God with everything, if we love God first, if we focus on God, then it's easy, easier to love others. And we want to love others, and we want to serve others, and we want to fill needs, we want to meet needs, we want to love as Jesus loved. Um, and I think, you know, at the very end of this letter, um, Paul closes thanking the Philippian church because they were generous. They sent him um, gifts, money gifts. He said no other church was supporting him, but this church come in and they give him money. And he is giving a huge thankful thanks, thanks to them. He also does say, and I didn't put it up there, but he also tells that he has learned to be content when he has a lot or when he has nothing. Um, you know, in, if he's hungry or if he's well-fed, he's learned to be content. And I think there's a point of that for us, too, that we need to learn to be content with what we have. But we also need to be a generous church, just like the church in Philippi was. You know, uh, God wants us, everything we have is from God, and he wants us to give back. He wants us to be generous people. Um, this church, when I think about this church, of course, I grew up in this church, but from as far back as I can remember, this church has always been a generous church, you know. And I just think, encourage you in that, just keep it up. Um, we, you know, it shows faith in God our, as our provider. When we're obedient to Him with our possessions and with our money, um, we can impact our communities here, um, but we can also impact people around the world um, with our generosity. I was thinking about this last week. We had alabaster offering. We had a, a, a wonderful alabaster offering, and that is going to build buildings um, to help the global church. That's around the world. Um, we're in the midst of Love Atlantic right now. This, this is our last Sunday, as I said, for offering, and then we're doing projects this week. But you know, that is something that we are doing as a church to bless our community here. Uh, and then next week we're going to be talking like Faith Promise. And then we have our Thanksgiving offering, which is going globally. But as a church here in, in Little West Prince, Elmsdale, we can have an impact um, right here around us, but all over the world if we're a generous church. And I think that's what God is calling us to um, in all of this, um, to be a united church that is working for his purposes. Um, I think as Paul wrote this to uh, encourage the church, uh, to, to thank the church, to encourage them, to challenge them, all of that, I think, you know, we can take this ourselves and and apply it to our church right here. Um, as the worship team comes, um, I just think, you know, I think as a church, um, too, we need to be praying uh, for God's direction over our church, how we can further be living out His purpose here, um, but if you're here today, as we come to a close of our service, I think, you know, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to take that step, please come. You know, we would love to pray with you and help you begin your journey. Uh, many of you are here and maybe you've been striving for things that don't matter in light of eternity. If you are, come. Um, maybe you've been stepping back and filling your mind with things that don't honor God and you need to ask for forgiveness. Come. Maybe you know you've just been sitting idly by and are feeling God calling you something. Please come and do business with God, you know. Maybe you're here and you're just excited about what God wants to do in and through our church 
and you feel called to pray for God's Spirit to move, just come. As we sing that last song. The song, uh, I just think the whole service is about what Jesus has done for us, and that's our purpose as a church. So as we sing this song, just feel free.